Good evening, Dallas. Hello, everyone. My name is Garrett. If we've never met before, if we've never spent time together before, I wanna welcome everybody who's tuning in, not in this exact room, whether you're in Fort Worth or Houston or somewhere else in all the creation. So glad you guys are gonna be a part of this tonight. Hey, I wanna start by asking you this question. Have you ever had a moment in life that seemed to throw you into a little bit of a pit? I'm not talking about a mere problem. I'm talking about a problem that you get stuck in and you can't seem to climb your way out of. Like it graduates from a problem to an all out pit. You ever had that moment? Let me tell you about the first one I had when I came on staff. So uh, I became a resident here in the fall of 2013. So almost five years ago. And uh, as soon as I became a resident, just a few weeks later was the biggest porch event of the year. It's called Launch Retreat. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of it or enjoyed a good time out there. But uh, the first event um, of me being a resident was, uh, was that we were gonna go have a launch retreat. Now keep in mind, think like first day on the job, first few weeks on the job, you really wanna do right, you don't wanna mess anything up, you, know, you don't want anybody to think you're not pulling your weight. That's kind of the mentality, make a good first impression. That's kind of the mentality that I'm coming into this event with. And uh, David approached me, and we did not know each other well at this point, and he just said, hey, you have one job. In this opening session, you are the balloon drop guy. And I like looked up in the room, and uh, in this room where there were gonna be 1,000 young adults, many of you seated right there in that room, um, there's this huge net of balloons, a tube of balloons going across the room from left to right. And he says, hey, at the end of the national anthem, because there's like a game day theme, and so there's gonna be a national anthem go off and confetti and all this stuff. He said, at the end of the national anthem, okay, like somewhere around, you know, or the land of the brave, you know, or land of the free. Sorry, I'm an American, I love this country. But anyway... <laughs> So anyway, he's like, hey, at that part, I want you to start pulling. You can see why he wasn't confident. So anyway, he starts, he tells me, hey, you just start pulling that rope. Because what happened was the tube was held together by a rope that went over to the sidewall and then back in the back corner. So I'm in like the back left corner of the room and I'm just waiting. And there are people that are screaming and hollering, launch retreats here. It's Labor Day weekend, three-day weekend, about to have a great time. And uh, everything has gone off perfectly. It's amazing. And then it is time for the balloon drop. <clears throat> so... I start to pull right at the ending moment. I mean, everybody's standing up. I mean, it's just an epic start to the weekend. And I start to pull. And all of a sudden, instead of the rope kind of like loosening out from under the net, and in theory, that's what would happen. And then the balloons would fall and the people would cheer and I would feel good inside. In theory, that's what was gonna happen. But instead of the rope kind of unwinding, as I could see it from the back corner of the room, all of a sudden on the far right side of this big, huge balloon tube, it's like kind of bunching up and kind of contorting a little bit. I'm like, I don't... I don't think it's supposed to be like that. And I start to pull and it gets a little harder and it starts to kind of contort more and all of a sudden there's more tension in the rope. And I'm like, I, I don't think this is right. And at this point, it's decision time. Because I'm thinking, okay, what if the balloons don't fall because the new guy didn't pull hard enough? That is not going to happen. So I pulled a little more and it, there was this loud pop and the entire tube of balloons, it was held to the ceiling and the entire right half of the tube of balloons starts to fall toward the ground. People literally scream like a building's falling down. Ah! And so people look up and they're terrified and this balloon tube, it's like, it's just balloons, it's not gonna hurt you people. But I mean, people yell audibly, you know, it's a room and a crowd, people don't know what that pop sound is. And so they look up and this balloon thing is kind of, you know, floating down and then it, it stops in a very unfortunate position. Some would say an anatomical <laughs> position. Mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I wish I could tell you that man you see in that photograph. Oh, let's let it have its moment. Go ahead and put it back up there. I wish, I wish that I could say that man's back that you see was someone else, but that is yours truly. And that's after it all calmed down, okay? It, and by the way, just so you know, 
it wasn't like three or four people in the corner of the room were like, you know, if you tilt your head just right, it, it kind of looks phallic. It was like a thousand people looked up and were like, oh, it's a balloon penis, clearly. <laughs> Obviously. It was one of the worst moments of my life. Some of you, it's your first time and you're like, this is what happened to church while I was gone. <laughs> Crazy. So, uh, oh wait, let me do my David laugh. <laughs> so, so I had this moment, I heard David picked on me a few weeks ago, I had to come back and get him. So I, uh, so I had this moment and all of a sudden, I, so first off, that moment itself is a pit, okay? So that moment itself is like, everybody knows, I mean, all you have to do is look back, there's a guy in the back left corner, he's clearly the balloon drop problem. And, uh, and so, but then after that, I stayed in a pit of embarrassment for a long time. The entire retreat, I was walking around just with embarrassment, just like covering me. I mean, you, can you imagine? Every time I ran into somebody, I was like, I'm trying to meet new people, you know? Like, I'm new here, I'm new to town, I'm new to the team, and I'm trying to meet people, and I'm just completely uh, just underwater with this idea that I am the problem here and it was just so embarrassing. So the embarrassment was like a pit to me. I mean, I, I was stuck in it. I couldn't climb my way out. I tried to tell myself like, oh, you know, it, you know mistakes happen. And you know, if the apostle Paul himself had been pulling the rope, that would have happened. I mean, it's clearly a, pre, a predestined problem. You know, I mean, who knows? So I'm trying to make myself feel better, but I'm stuck in this pit of embarrassment and I can't get out. And it, it, at first it was a problem, but then it graduated to an all out pit. I mean, I was embarrassed for weeks. When I was meeting new people on staff, I was afraid it would become staff legend. And those fears have come true, by the way. But it just, it stuck with me and I couldn't figure out the mental game of like, how do I not be ashamed of this? And that sounds really silly, but I know this. Life can throw you into a pit a lot more violently than that, can it? Only this time there's no funny story. It's just hard. And when I say the word pit tonight, I want you to know exactly what I mean by that. When I say that word, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about something that could be emotional or actual. By an emotional pit, what I mean is, I mean an emotional problem that you can't exactly solve yourself, like depression or anxiety or sadness. When I say an actual pit, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a situation that's really real and it's really wrong and you really can't get out of it, like probation. Like you just got broken up with. Like there was a divorce and it continues to affect you. Like there was a DUI back there. And yeah, that moment itself was a pit and that was an actual physical situation you were in. But on top of that, you've got the emotional after effects of that situation. Sometimes we can dig a pit for ourselves. Like if you lie and cheat and get caught and then you're in a drama-filled relationship, you dug that pit, that's one you dug for yourself. Sometimes other people can dig one for you and just throw you in. That's like when you walk into work one day and somebody says, you don't work here anymore. Life just throws you in it. And then sometimes pits can just happen because we live on earth, and that is to say, a pit-filled world. And you didn't do anything, but you just kind of, nobody else did anything either, but you just kind of inherited. Like, you don't love being single, and the Bible says it's a gift, but you just can't really get there, and it feels like time's ticking away, and family just seems like less and less of a possibility for you. A pit is a problem that has graduated into something that you are all out stuck in that you do not wanna be in is a situation you want out of but do not have the power to get out of. And what I wanna talk about tonight is what you need to know when you're stuck in a pit because we've all been in them. The balloon drop story, that's, that's fun and games. But that was not my worst pit, not by a long shot. I've been in the pit of a pornography addiction, partying thinking that's better than God, and then not being able to stop once I figured out God was better, still not being able to stop. 
being ashamed of myself, ashamed of this story. There was a time when I couldn't say that to anybody, let alone myself, the way I just said it to you. The pit of shame and guilt from the life that I'd lived before I was walking with Jesus. The pit of family death, lost a mom, lost a brother, gonna tell you a little more about that tonight. Life can go really low. And we're gonna see tonight a man in the scriptures whose life has gone very, very low, and that is of course the man Jonah. And he prays a prayer in Jonah chapter two that we're gonna see tonight that offers some insight that is transferable from his pit to mine and to yours. And if we look closely at that prayer, I am confident that his is a prayer worth praying for you, for me, no matter what your pit is right now, no matter what you're stuck in, no matter whether it is any of the things I just named or something that I'm not creative enough to even think about ahead of time. Jonah chapter two. Now, as uh, David taught last week, Jonah was more of, a, uh, more of a warning to avoid, right? So Jonah, um, in chapter one, we find him on the run from God. He's running from God. He wants nothing to do um, with God's assignment for his life. And so he runs and he lands himself in a pit, a literal one, uh, the belly of a fish. But in chapter two, something about him has dramatically changed. And there's something about him that he is inside the belly of a literal fish, okay? Talk about a pit. He is below sea level, okay, in a in an animal, okay? That's where he is at, in the stomach of an animal, moving around, and he prays a prayer out of that pit that gives some insight about how we can relate to ours. Now, I wanna pause right here, just before we dive in, I understand that many of you have an intellectual problem with picturing a man in the belly of a fish, okay? Like, you just can't get there, it seems weird, it's too miraculous for you, it's a whale of a tail, it's just too much, okay? So however you would say it, there's just no way that you can possibly picture a man inside the belly of a fish. And I just wanna tell you, I wanna be an intellectually honest person too. So I wanna tell you how I think about that. Jesus believed in the literal story of Jonah. And Jesus rose again from the grave, all right? So listen, if you ever predict your own death and rise again from the grave, whatever you say about Jonah will be good enough for me. I will just believe everything you believe. We will do everything you say. And you can have Easter, you can be the boss, okay? But until then, because Jesus actually predicted his own death and rose again from the grave, we're gonna go with whatever he believes. And he believed that this was an actual, literal story. So here comes Jonah, prayers from the pit, chapter two. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. From inside the fish, that is a very low, low in life. That is a very low valley. That is what you'd be tempted to call rock bottom. Let's just affirm this is really, really, really bad. And he said in this bad moment, in my distress, how interesting is this? In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me, past tense. For from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry, past tense. Now, let me tell you why that's crazy to me. If it was me, I would not be in the belly of a fish going, God, I called and you answered. I would say, please answer. Current, like I'm in this problem right now, I'm calling, will you please answer? From deep, from the realm of the dead, I am calling for help, please listen to my cry. But he's praying past tense as if it's already done. Where's that confidence come from? How's that possible? How can you pray like that in the middle of that situation? I'm more tempted to pray like, hello, hello, hello. God, are you there? Are you there, are you there? And he is saying, God, just calmly, like God's right there. I called to you. You answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. How can you pray with confidence like that in your pit? 
The answer is not because you know you're gonna get out of there, but because you know God is with you there. Jonah knows God is right there. He's not distant, he's not far away, he's not just pushing Jonah off, he is close by. So one thing you might wanna know about your pit is that God hears your prayers from the pit. God, the God, the creator God, hears your prayers from the pit. However low it is, no matter what your pit is called, no matter what you've done, no matter what you did to get yourself into it, no matter what somebody else did to get you into it, wherever you are in life, however low rock bottom is for you, God hears your prayers from that very moment. And you never know when you are gonna need that. I mentioned to you that I, uh, that I lost my brother. Um, I've shared that story here at the porch before, a few months ago. But it was three years ago and it was during church over at the Fort Worth campus and I got a phone call and um, it was his um, girlfriend who said, um, hey, he, he didn't make it. And it's the kind of thing that doesn't really need any explanation. And I had been there before when my mom had passed away a few years prior and, um, and when that happened, um, I walked outside, I hung up the phone, walked outside and I got in my car door and it was the instant pit. Okay, some of you have had a moment like this, some of you maybe not. But that is, an, that is a moment where the loss of life of someone who is close to you is just the most close reality. There's nowhere to run from it. You're just in it. You're just there. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. Not a, you can't hug your way out of it. You can't pray your way out of it. Nobody, I mean, there's nothing you can do. You are in a pit. You can't encourage your way out of it. There's nothing you can do for that at least immediate moment. You are stuck. And what I did was I hung up the phone, I hopped in my car, got ready to get on the highway, but before I put the car in reverse, I just shut the door and I looked out the windshield, put my hands around the steering wheel, and I said one sentence out loud. God, I can't see you, but I know you're there. That was it. And I walked through the hardest week of my entire life, not alone. It was a pit. No, no little, there was nothing anybody can say. No pastor's trick, no preacher's trick. There was no little saying, there's no little Christian proverb out there that can take away all the pain of that exact situation. But I wasn't alone. As soon as I was there, I knew God was with me. It made a difference, big time. And you never know, some of you are there right now and you just need to know God is with you, he is aware. You might not be experiencing his best right now and that might mean that you have gotten a little frustrated towards him or maybe not even spoke to him or thought about him in a long, 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 long time, but guess what? He is right there. It says in the scripture, God is near to the brokenhearted. That includes you even if you broke your own heart. As we saw last week, you can run from God but you can't outrun him. There is no way you could ever end up alone truly alone, because God can hear your prayers from the pit. You need to know that if you're in a hard spot. Verse three, back to Jonah's prayer. You, you, God, hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. So that's his physical situation right there, literal, the current swirled about me. That's not spiritual language. It's not one of those, you know, you read the prayer and you're like, the current swirled about you. What does that even mean? It literally means the currents swirled about him while he was in the water, all your waves and breakers, you're like, what are those? Literal waves, they swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Surely you can't see this, God. That's how he used to feel. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters, not a metaphor, real deal. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. 
Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I don't know how bad it's going for you, but you do not have seaweed on your face right now. I'm looking out at you, no seaweed. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. Some of you know what that feels like. Sands, seaweed, all right, without the seaweed. To just feel like you're locked in it forever, like you can't get out. You've been sad for what feels like a decade. You've been upset since somebody broke up with you. You haven't been yourself since you lost your job. Some of you know what that feels like. Listen to what Jonah says. Listen to what he knows that you might need to know and I might need to know. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Now that's another one of those interesting things to say. How exactly can you pray, he brought my life up from the pit while you are still there? How can that be? Now he moves to confidence that his situation is changing. How does he know his situation is changing in the moment while he's in it? Does he know God's plan for the situation before it happens? Nope. Can his prayers make God change the situation? You know, kind of name and claim your outcome and, you know, kind of pray God into doing what you want? Nope. So how, how can you know your situation is changing while you're still in it? Here's how Jonah knew. Jonah knew the pit itself was God changing the situation. That very moment, that very situation, that very place he felt stuck was actually moving him back into the plan of God. Think about it. He was in a fish. Fish move. They swim places. And right at that very moment, Jonah is being transported back to the original purpose of God for his life. Jonah is actually being taken back to the thing God told him to do in chapter one. That very moment was not, and it feels so bad when you're in a pit, it feels like God is punishing you, not pursuing you. But what Jonah realized was this is not, this moment, this dark, dark moment is not God pushing me away and putting me in time out. This is God helping me make up for lost time. This is him acting in my life. The punishment is the pursuit of God. There are so many moments in life when we feel like God's judging us when judgment is not anywhere on his mind. And when the circumstance feels bad, we just assume there's no way it could be constructive, no way it could be helpful, no way it could be useful, no way it could be doing anything to you or through you or for you. And God is so much bigger than you, man. I have no idea what you're up against right now. And I don't wanna get up here and give you simple answers and pretend I do. I know better. Life's hard. It's complicated. But I know this, what God has done for Jonah and what God has done all throughout the scripture from start to finish is take something that feels impossible and random and meaningless, like it's just pain that nobody else maybe even knows about, and he uses that very stuck situation that you can't get out of to get you into the situation that you should be in. Does it all over the scripture. Jonah realized the pit is the plan of God. I feel loved right now. You, Lord, are bringing my life up from the pit at this very moment. So I just wanna tell you simply, God has a plan for your pit. God has a plan for your pit. And look, I was scared to write that down because I thought some of you would think, oh, the preacher always says there's a plan. Of course, the guy with the microphone said there's a plan. Is that just what they teach you to say? When do they pull you guys aside and teach you to say that? Listen, 
the Bible teaches all over the place. Jonah's just one example that God has a plan for every pit that you could possibly ever endure or ever see. And I am not telling you, I am not telling you that whatever you're facing is easy. I know better, I've seen pain, I've seen hardship, I know it's not easy. I'm also not telling you that you can know every single detail and explanation for why hardship in your life exists. I know better than that too. I'm not saying we can know all the reasons for why hardship is in your life. I'm saying we can know at least one. Because God is after you, he wants to connect with you, and he wants you to connect you for his purpose for you from here on out. That's at least one thing he's doing, at the minimum. I've seen God do it in my life over and over. Another example from, uh, from kind of some family hardship, well not kind of family hardship, absolute family tragedy. Um, when I was 18 years old, I got a phone call, another pit, <laughs> I gotta stop answering my phone. Um, but I got a phone call and uh, it was, uh, this time it was, this was before the, the previous story, so this was when I was 18 and um, I got a phone call and they just said, hey, your mom is sick and uh, they, they're pretty sure that it's cancer. And uh, a few phone calls later, and I found out um, over the next few weeks it was cancer. It was a very serious form of ovarian cancer, and, uh, which is very lethal and very scary. And um, my mom and I, from that point, got to share two more years of life together on this earth. Two more years. And you need to understand something. Before that two years, the previous 18 years were marked by pretty much spiritual shallowness. We never really talked about God. We'd go to church on Christmas and Easter, you know, poke our heads in. I assumed we were Christians, because after all, we were Texans, and so I just assumed <laughs> that, uh, that we're Christians, and she's a Christian, and I'm a Christian, and that's how it is, and, but that's what you think about, you know, at weddings and funerals and stuff like that. And it was just complete shallowness. Never really, I don't think I have a single memory of her talking about God before the diagnosis. And over the next two years, God not, didn't just revitalize our relationship with each other, but God actually brought us into real relationship with him. We talked about Christ in ways we never would have been willing before. We talked about prayer, we talked about faith, we talked how to, how to deal with the cancerous pit that we were all in and our whole family didn't ask to be thrown into. We had conversations like the one we're having right here tonight wrestling with the mysteries and the hurt and the tension of the unknowns. We had all those conversations. And yeah, it was a pit. And yeah, it didn't end the way we wanted. And yeah, it was a long two years to see your mom struggle like that. And I don't pretend to know. I'm, I, would not, I would not insult my mom's memory by even suggesting that it was easy or that I'm satisfied because I know everything I wanna know. I don't know everything about that situation I wanna know. I know one thing about that situation I need to know. God's plan was to come for both of us and he got us both. He got both of us. I turned my life over to him right in that very season. I knew when that introduced itself into my life, I knew I was either gonna be all in with God or I was gonna be all out with God. That was a fork in the road for me. A pit will do that to you, by the way, with God. And I realized I'm either gonna be all in with you, God, or I'm gonna be all out with you, and I'm just gonna rage against this situation because I don't understand it, it's wrong, how could a loving God do this, and I'm out. And those are my two options, and I'm literally praying between those two options as an 18-year-old, thinking about them. And God used that very situation to soften my, heart's toward, my heart towards him because I saw the way he had softened my mom's heart towards him. It changed everything. 
I don't know why all the pain was necessary to do that. I don't pretend to know. I know that the pit itself created space for the plan of God, which is always kind. I don't know how he's gonna do that in your life. I have no idea. God's way too creative to do the same thing in the same way twice, all right? So I have no idea exactly how he's gonna show up for you. I don't know what the specific purposes are, but I know that there's purpose. Nothing is random, nothing is meaningless. And even when you think you're stuck, you have the opportunity, if you trust him, to actually be moving back into the plan of God. He's that good. Back to Jonah one more time, verse seven. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And then this is his finest moment, last two verses. Those who cling, listen to this, this is so big. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord, end of prayer. Now look, I don't know how you would end this prayer, but I would pray by saying, God, now that we've gotten all that sorted out, get me the heck out of here. That's how I would have ended the prayer. But he doesn't even pray anything about his situation. Nothing about the situation does he even mention. It's almost like he forgot about it. And he's just saying, salvation is from God. My devotion is going to God. Worthless idols, ha, I've done that, I'm out. I'm not gonna do that anymore. That's what I was doing when I was chasing the idol of comfort that led me out of the plan of God and into a pit in the first place. I am done with clinging to worthless idols because that's just turning away from God's love for me, he says right there in verse eight. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love and I'm done doing that. God, you have all my devotion, end of prayer. He gives his devotion first regardless of whether a situation gets better. Can we just admit we don't do that? You know what we do with our devotion to God while we're in a pit? We like to bargain with God. You know what I mean? Here's what that sounds like. God, if you get me out of this DUI, I will never get drunk again. <laughs> I'm done. I'll be your man. If you will let me not be pregnant, I will never sleep with him again, I promise, or anyone else. Won't even think about it. Sex will be out of my vocabulary. Won't even talk about it. Just get me out of this situation and I will devote myself to you. God, if you can get us back together after the breakup, I, we will honor you. We will honor you. We will honor you. And I'm telling you, that's so backward. Jonah doesn't even wait for that. He doesn't hold back his devotion. He just gives it to God. And he says, God, he doesn't say, God, if you change this, I'll go with you. He says, I'll go with you whether you change this or not because you're where life is found. Some of you, your biggest problem is not that you're in a pit. It's that you don't have anything worth chasing if you got out. You got worthless idols everywhere. What's an idol? Anything but God. Anything. Anything but God. Money, success, sex, companionship, marriage, respect, your resume, anything other than God. And if you chase those, you turn away from God's love for you. That's why Jonah says, hey, let's just settle this deal now. While I'm in this pit, I'm gonna take advantage of the opportunity to decide what kind of man I'm gonna be from here because I am done being the man who chases worthless idols. I'm going with God no matter what happens, if he ever, ever lets me out of here or not. The last thing you'd wanna know about being in your pit is turning to God right now is your best option. That's the best thing you can do. No matter how complicated it is, even though God might not be a quick fix for your situation right now, even if that doesn't answer all your questions or solve all your problems, the best thing you can do at this very moment is you can turn to God. It is your best option. I can remember being a Christian years ago. 
And as a Christian, years ago, I was so far in the pit of pornography and partying, I thought, maybe it's not even worth it to turn around. I bet God's so mad at me. I'm mad at me. It might be better just to keep going, man, and give up. Not true. Your best option is to turn to God right now. When we get in a hard situation, we all weigh our options. That's what we all have in common. And God is always the best one. It might not get better fast. It might not be a quick fix, but it is always the very best choice you can make for yourself and those around you. It might not uncomplicate things by tomorrow. It only takes one decision to complicate things and to uncomplicate them, it can take a long time. But turning yourself into God, surrendering to him, deciding your devotion will go to him right now is your very best option. Some of you, I know, it's like, hey, I, you end up hugging a toilet every weekend. You're like, yeah, the headaches are bad. And yeah, you know, my, uh, you know, my friends are not, my real friends are disappearing. All I got are bar buddies. But I mean, I've kind of already gone this far. Maybe I should keep going. No, that's crazy. You should turn yourself back to God now. That's the best thing you can do. I just got out of a relationship. I thought it was going to the altar. What should I do? You should turn to God now. It is your best option. I lost my job, what do I do? Turn to God right now. Start walking with him. Don't wait for some magical, miraculous interruption. Don't wait for God to snap his fingers and make everything simple again. Turn to God now and start walking with him. We'll close with this story. When, uh, when I was 14 years old, we got into a, a um, crazy situation life-threatening situation. My mother was driving um, our car. Uh, it was a minivan to be exact. She was in a minivan phase. And uh, so um, she had a minivan and uh, there was me. My best friend was 14 years old, best friends in the car, um, little sister, and then little stepbrother and little stepsister who were very young. And, uh, and we lived out in the woods in East Texas. And uh, if you're not from East Texas and you're picturing, oh, out in the woods, what does that mean? You know, a few trees? No, way woods, like dirt road. We lived way out there. And there was this little wooden bridge with no rails on it. There was a creek below it. And there was this little wooden bridge that we had to cross anytime we wanted to get in and out of the place we were living. We were 15 minutes from being in a small town. So you go to the small town and then you go out a long way and then you go down the dirt road that they write um, horror stories about. And that is where we lived. And, uh, and so you go down there and, uh, and across this rickety wooden bridge every time. Well, it was a few days after Christmas when I was in eighth grade and uh, it was um, obviously December and freezing and, and it was raining and we, we needed to get out to take my friend home and we loaded up everybody into the car and as we were going, um, we saw that the bridge was a little bit underwater, which, you know, is like, that's a little bit of a concern typically, but when you cross it every day, it kind of fills you with some confidence. And so we started to kind of cruise down towards it and all of a sudden we went down towards it even farther and the headlights kind of flashed up where we could see that it was about 100 yards or more that was underwater. And so it wasn't just the bridge right there. It was like the roads coming down to the bridge where all the creek had overflowed that far. And it was up, the, the water was up to the door handle, okay, almost to the, to the window where the window of the car is. And so that's where it was. So we noticed that all at the same time and mom immediately puts it into reverse and tries to get back. Well, you can't back up. It literally, you literally couldn't move. We got minivan tires on a mud, on a red mud road. It's not gonna work. And so she puts it in reverse, no can do. Um, puts it back into park, hoping it would at least stop. Uh-uh, the mud is making a slide down towards the bridge. 
Okay, we need to get out of a window quickly. Just abandon the car. Uh -uh, the electricity immediately goes out and the headlights are off, the doors are locked and the windows will not come down. That's where we all are. My mom starts shrieking. We're all terrified. I'm like, this is crazy right now. I don't know what to do. My friend is freaking out. He's kind of staring off into space and then water starts coming in the vehicle, freezing. All right, freezing cold. We all pick our feet up and we are stuck. And now listen, remember this, it's not like we're gonna float onto the bridge and the guardrails will keep us up. It's like if we go off the bridge, we're gonna sink in that vehicle and that's gonna be the end of the end. And that's the situation we're in. And at that point, we start looking around for our options. We're like, what, am I go what are we gonna do? We got water coming in. We, if we open a door, it's just gonna all come in. So we can't do that. Can't open a window. We could try 911, no service. Should I just swing around and kick the window open with my legs? I mean, like, what do we do? And I don't know how other than the grace of God, because there was no electricity in the vehicle whatsoever, but my mom's window, the driver window rolled down and the water was just at the level where when the window went down, water didn't come in. And she got out, hung on the door to find her footing, made sure there was ground underneath her. And we all went out. She squeezed in a call to 911. She got one bar of service to call 911. We got out, put the kids in her arms and we walked out slowly to higher ground, slow, slow. It was freezing. Have you ever seen the movie Titanic? You see it in a whole new light after you experience this one. It was completely freezing. And so when we just slowly, 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 slowly started walking. And I have no idea what that situation is for you where you're like, hey, I'm out of good options, okay? I got water outside. If I open the door, something bad happens. If I open the window, something bad happens. If I pick my feet up, something bad happens. If I leave, something bad happens. The water's freezing and we might drown anyway. I got nowhere to go. The water is rushing in, figuratively speaking, in my life. Like, what do I do, man? The answer is the window of opportunity for you to walk with God is still open. There might, I'm not saying there's no consequences for whatever has been going on in your life. I'm not saying it's gonna uncomplicate itself immediately. Whatever it is you're up against, I'm saying God's window of opportunity for you is open now and you can slowly start to put one foot in front of the other to walk with him. We'll help you do it. Whatever you're stuck in, whatever your life was supposed to be about, but then now it's not and you're just stuck right there and then just it feels like the situation's temperature is kind of rising and there's pressure and you don't know what to do with yourself. The answer is open your Bible and realize there is a good God behind it who's after you. He's opened a window for you to walk with him. It might not be fast. You might come out and show some marks, but it is better than staying where you are. And I don't know what you're up against. I'm telling you though, if you don't walk with God, it's gonna get worse. Some of you I know are in a situation where you're going, I'm pregnant and I don't wanna be a mom. I'm not ready, I can't pay, I can't provide. Why would I bring a kid into this situation? I, 95% of the world says I should, and so I, maybe I should just sit here and terminate. Walk with God one step at a time. You know, people will help you do that. There is always a window to get to him. He's present with you. I don't know what water's rushing in, creating pressure in your life right now. I know that there's a good God who's with you. He's got a plan for it. And there is a possibility right now that you could walk with him and I promise you this, it is your best option. No matter how low it goes, no matter what the threats are against you, no matter what the consequences are for your own actions or the actions of others, your very best option is to get to higher 
ground one step at a time. Let's pray together. God, there's so much complexity in our lives that we have invited in or others have put in or just the broken world surprised us with. We have landed ourselves in more pits than we can count. We don't know what to do. We don't know our way out. Thank you, God, that you saw fit to provide a way out. That if we walk with you, we don't have to ignore wisdom and eat the fruit of our ways anymore, as Proverbs 2 says. We can walk with you and keep our way pure. We can experience something better, God. There is something better. You said you came to give us life and life abundant. God, thank you for grace when we have complicated our lives so much and created so much pain and so much stuckness in our lives that we somehow and it got suspicious that you were the problem and it was us. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to give us everything we need. Thank you that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, Jesus was in the pit for three days, three nights, and rose again so that we can know that this pain is temporary, there's a purpose, and even in this pit, you are moving us back into your plan if we will choose to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it spit Jonah onto dry land.